0: In the 20th century, there was a psychologist named Solomon Ash who conducted a series of studies called Social Conformity Experiments. In one of these experiments, which can be viewed on YouTube, eight men were seated at a table shoulder to shoulder facing a large poster board on the wall. And on the poster board, Drawn in a row were four vertical lines of varying heights. Of the four lines, two were the exact same height. One was clearly the tallest, one was clearly the shortest, but two were the exact same height. And the simple question that was asked of the eight men, which two of the four lines are the same height? Lines 1 and 4, lines 2 and 3, lines 1 and 2. Which of these four lines are the exact same height? The eight men were told to answer out loud, but unbeknownst to poor man number six. The other eight men, the other six, uh, seven men, it's simple math really. Uh, <laughs> the other seven men at the table were actors who had been given two instructions before the test. The first instruction was that they should give, they should all of them give the correct answer to the first three poster boards. But then, after the first three poster boards, they should all give the same wrong answer collectively to see how man number six reacts. Well, the experiment was conducted many times and with many different people, and the results revealed a fascinating and unfortunate human trend. Even when something isn't clear-cut, even when something is not correct, even when something is patently untrue, people are willing to go with it in order to avoid being distinguished from the majority and dismissed by the majority. I'd love to talk about how the power players of our world today know this to be true and use this to their advantage, but uh, that's all I'll say on that matter. Suffice it it to say, Daniel, as we're about to see in Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 through 15, Daniel would have thrown a wrench into Dr. Ash's social conformity experiment because even under extreme pressure, Daniel remains distinguished, though despised, And he remains unflinchingly devoted to what is true. Uh, You and I, as God's people living in a pressure cooker, we stand to gain a lot from this passage. But before we read, remember, last week in Daniel chapter 5, King Belshazzar was killed. And the Babylonian Empire fell to the Medes and the Persians in accord with the writing on the wall. As we come into chapter 6, the Medeo-Persian king, emperor, Darius, Darius, is adjusting to his newly expanded empire. So Darius is on the lookout, in this passage, he's on the lookout for good leaders, and he's open to any ideas as to how to quicken the widespread submission of the people to him, these new people that have been kind of conform to his kingdom, to his rule, how do we quickly gain their widespread submission? This is the scene, and I'd invite you to follow along as I read Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them, three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give an account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. established the injunction and signed the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any God or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, "Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed." We'll stop there this morning. This is the word of the Lord. Please be to God. Would you say a word of prayer with me? God Most High, it is no secret we live in a corrupt world that desires to extinguish your torchbearers. Teach us from this passage. Prepare us from this passage. And by your Holy Spirit, strengthen us for your glory and for our endurance. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It seems that King Darius is skilled in an area I am not, organization. (laughs) In verses 1 and 2, Darius divides his newly expanded empire into 120 districts. Over those districts, he places 120 lower officials called satraps. And then over those satraps, he places three high officials to manage the books and to make sure the satraps don't get away with embezzlement. It seems government corruption has been around since 539 BC. Daniel, who is in his 80s by this time in the story, Daniel's reputation as a wise and loyal and honest servant has clearly preceded him because Darius quickly recognizes him as one of three high officials over the whole kingdom. For the remainder of our time, let's observe Daniel. And let's be reminded of what it looks like to be, number one, distinguished from the crowd. Two, despised by the crowd. Three, Devoted to God despite the crowd. Distinguished from the crowd. Despised by the crowd. Devoted to God despite the crowd. Number one. Distinguished from the crowd. In verse three, before Daniel can get, you know, he can even get acquainted with anyone in the, in the break room. <laughs> he sticks out from the rest of the high officials and satraps. Daniel is distinguished. He shows up for work on time. He does his job with consistency and accuracy and honesty. And even when his co-workers insist that lines two and three are the same height, Daniel is willing to blow the whistle and to set the record straight whenever there's an error in the king's books. If you're a manager of a company, Daniel would be the kind of guy you'd like to hire. If you like to coast throughout your day and not break a sweat at work, Daniel would be the guy you'd want to avoid. Verse three, then this Daniel became distinguished above all the others. And notice with me the reason he became so distinguished. Daniel's excellence was due to The excellent spirit that was in him. What a beautiful line. There are probably a number of reasons why God thought it necessary to include that little bit for us, but one reason is no doubt for our encouragement. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who lived? and died and rose to save you from your sin and to grant you access into God's forever kingdom, if you do, if that's you, you have not only been redeemed by God's Son, you have been indwelled with the same excellent spirit that distinguished Christ himself from all the rest. Whether you work a job, or whether you manage a home, Household, whether you raise children or serve at the pregnancy care center or even serve in this church, do you know because you need to? You possess much more than just natural ability, you possess God's own excellent spirit, and He is calling you to and empowering you for the distinguishing excellence that comes from him. Martin Luther is often credited with saying, if you are a Christian who works as a cobbler during the day, the evidence of your belonging to an excellent God does not rest on you stitching little crosses onto all the shoes you make. I mean, you could do that. But the evidence of your belonging to an excellent God rests on this, the excellent quality of the shoes you make. When all the other co-workers, when all the other stay-at-home moms, when all the other volunteers drift into inconsistency or negligence or dishonesty, your prayerful reliance on the Holy Spirit will reinforce the fact that God has called you to your position and what he expects is that you'll work as though you're working directly for him if God grants us a new day tomorrow what if we all prayed before we began our day father May your excellent Holy Spirit empower my work today. In all that I do, may you be glorified to help me do it excellently for your namesake. This is no doubt the kind of resolve that Daniel had. And it doesn't go unnoticed by King Darius at the end of verse 3 because Darius plans to make Daniel the most high official over the whole kingdom of Medeo Persia now as news of Daniel's promotion gets out we see in verse 4 that being distinguished from the crowd often leads to being despised by the crowd number two in verse 4 we gather that Daniel's co-officials become consumed with jealousy over his impending promotion and in their jealousy toward Daniel they concoct a plan to derail him from his promotion the only problem I love that it's a problem here in this story the only problem is that Daniel's track record is squeaky clean he wasn't sinless before God but before men his conduct and his reputation past and present Gave nothing to grab hold of. He didn't have any skeletons in his closet. He didn't have anything swept under the rug of his life. He was, as all pastors and Christians must be, he was above reproach. See this. And how wonderful it is when the world tries to dig up dirt on God's people, but they can't find any. Oh, that you and I would be and strive to be above reproach like this. That you and I would have the courage to bring into the light the shameful things we have kept in the dark. That we would acknowledge those things, bless those things, make apologies for those things, and then commit to making those things right then that you and I would in the present walk and talk like the people of God we claim to be no matter where we are no matter who we're with no matter what we're doing we talk and we walk like the people of God we are this is the definition of integrity and integrity is integral to being above reproach as Daniel is. Now, in verse 5, the plot thickens. And the jealous high officials and satraps conclude that if they can't find fault in Daniel's physical actions, they'll make a fault of Daniel's spiritual allegiance. In verses 6 through 8, they deceive and manipulate King Darius by telling him. Oh, king, all your leaders are in agreement. Never mind that like one of three high officials wasn't even there. Right? All your leaders are in agreement. No. Well, but we're going to tell you anyway, all your leaders are in agreement. And we think that the best way to speed up the social conformity of this kingdom, to speed up the submission of all your new people, the best way to do that, you should legislate a 30-day prayer festival in your name. O king, if you want to see whose allegiance you truly have, make it illegal for everyone to pray to anyone but you under the penalty of death. This clever suggestion sounds a lot like the hissing serpent who is hell-bent on stealing, killing, and destroying God's people. But the suggestion Tickles the ears of King Darius in verse 9 because he wastes no time to sign it into law. Here's the law. For 30 days, no one will pray to anyone but King Darius. Now before we move on, it would be wise for us to reflect on this and apply this personally. Let me ask you, if, God, if, if prayer to God were outlawed For 30 days here in Worcester, would you even be threatened? Would you even be threatened or can you go a lot longer than 30 days on your own? Do you go a lot longer than 30 days on your own? How about this? If the Sunday worship gathering of believers were to be outlawed for 30 days, would you even be threatened by that? Or could you go a lot longer than that on your own? Do you go a lot longer than that? It's a sobering thing, but we need to be confronted with it. Our level of commitment to the things of God while they are legal says an awful lot about how committed we'll be to the things of God when they're deemed illegal. The Apostle John writes along these lines in 1 John 2.19 when he explains things are going to get difficult for Christians and when they do get difficult many, many will drift away from the church but here's the sobering reality. The reason the many will drift away from the church, they weren't united with Christ to begin with. To Christians, Jesus tells us in John 15, 18 that we need to expect ahead of time that the world's going to despise us. That the things of God are going to be made illegal. We need to expect it. Because the world despised him. We're his followers, bearing his name and possessed by his spirit. The world's going to hate us too. The world's going to look for all the reasons and all the ways they can break up the church. In verse 9, King Darius makes it illegal for everyone to pray to anyone but him for 30 days under the penalty of excruciating death. And yet, Daniel remains, number three, devoted to God despite the crowd. Goodness mercy, give me this sort of bravery and courage. Verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, stop right there, sit on this for a second. Even after Daniel becomes aware that prayer to God is now punishable by death, even then, he went to his house and in front of the windows that were wide open toward Jerusalem, he got down on his knees in obedient prayer to God. And he did so, verse 11, that all his enemies would see. In verses 12 and 13, the high officials and satraps, they, they report this conduct to King Darius. Darius. And in their reporting this conduct, they they reveal their true intentions. The true intention of a suggested prayer festival was to to nab Daniel. They they not only framed Daniel, they manipulated Darius into signing a law that can't be revoked. They're just playing games here. And in 1415, Darius is distressed over the whole matter. He's so distressed, he, he, he sets his mind to rescue Daniel. I mean, Daniel had... Been distinguished. Daniel had proven himself loyal, honest, trustworthy. But it's too late. The high officials and satraps are right. It's too late for Darius to do anything. Daniel is going to the den of lions. There are so many things we could note in this concluding portion of the passage. First, Daniel's devotion to God is so consistent, so unflinching, his enemies know exactly what they'll find him doing when they go to his house. They don't catch him making a pros and cons list. They don't catch him phoning his friends to see what they're going to do now that prayer has been made illegal. They don't catch him even drawing his curtains They catch him doing precisely what they knew he would be doing. Prioritizing his obedience to God over his obedience to civil law. Sometimes obeying God means disobeying the law. There's a takeaway. Sweet mercy. We mustn't miss uh, Daniel's intentionality. As he gets down on his knees to pray directly in front of open windows. Don't miss this. Daniel is making a public statement about his allegiance to God over and above the king, the officials, the satrap. He is making a public statement about his allegiance to God even over and above his own safety. Chew on that. I will too. Theologian Danny Aiken comments Daniel had counted the cost of his actions well before this moment. His willingness to go even to a den of lions had already been settled. How about us? Have you and I counted the cost of following God's truth in the midst of a truth-hating world? Do you and I realize that as followers of Christ... We are man number six, seated at a table and surrounded by a crowd of people who were all in agreement. Lines two and three are the same height. No, they're not. No, they're not. Are we prepared to do, as Daniel does in this passage, to unflinchingly stand upon what is true even against the raging current of the culture? it's appropriate that we ask ourselves what Daniel had clearly asked himself several times, many times. Are we prepared to honor God at any cost? Do you and I have the faith that is required to maintain this perspective right here? That what is eternal trumps what is temporal. I think Daniel recognizes something, and recognized in this, something that every, every, every believer, every follower of God needs to recognize. This, this, this earthly life isn't everything. I mean, the Savior Jesus, whose name we bear and whose spirit we possess... He knew this earthly life wasn't everything. I mean, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, we're reminded look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look at him, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Look at him. He endured for our salvation a temporal death on the cross. And this is how he did so, by fixing his eyes on the eternal, joy-filled reward that he would enjoy forever. And that is this, the redemption of you and me. He temporarily endured the shame of a criminal's cross. He died because of what was on the other side of it forever life in glory with people whom he'd summoned by name that's who we're to look at as we consider being like a Daniel oh man there's a much better Daniel his name's Jesus I just can only pray that if and when the time comes here in Worcester when the things of God are made illegal, I hope that I'm so predictable to my neighbors, they know exactly where to find me on a Sunday morning. Even under extreme pressure, Daniel here in this passage remains Distinguished, though despised, and unflinchingly devoted to what is true. And so will we. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Let's pray. Father, <laughs> As always, what we have just seen a glimpse of is that your word is just rich and deep and unsearchable. We could stay in this passage of of scripture probably for the rest of our lives. But Lord, I do pray that you would implant into our hearts the things that you desire for us to learn from this passage, that you would conform us that you would stand us up on our feet and make us resilient by your Holy Spirit, that our faith would be made ironclad no matter what comes in our future. You are our God, name above all names, worthy to be praised, and by Jesus we surely will. You will hold us fast, and we praise you for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.